It's great to be out tonight together. Great to see so many of you coming out for Sunday evening. Uh, We're in the book of Amos. If you want to turn over there in the Old Testament, the book of Amos. And in Amos, uh, we've considered the oracles given by Amos to Israel. We've looked at two of three sermons given by him to Israel. The first one, uh, if you look back in Amos, you look back to about chapter 3, and you find his first sermon. Hear this word which the Lord has spoken. The first sermon dealt with God's expectation for their holiness because they were His chosen people. They rebelled against Him to the point that they even forgot how to do what was right. And that was a sad thing. The second sermon, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, reprimanded the gluttonous, lazy, self-centered lifestyle of the rich women in Israel, along with the mentality that accompanied their worship. God had tried time and time again to wake them up, to bring them back with catastrophe, but they refused to return. And so tonight we arrive at his third sermon in Amos chapter 5. And it runs all the way through chapter 6, although we won't get to talk much about what's found in chapter 6 tonight. This third and final sermon, Amos speaks to the people as though they're already dead. He, in chapter 5 and verse 1, says, Hear this word which I take up for you as a dirge, O house of Israel. And this is a death song. This is a dirge. It's something that would be sung at a funeral as though they're already dead. He identifies their sins, shows them, calls them back to God several times. And then we find out that the men are no better than the women in that kingdom. The Lord's judgment would come to all and would be so severe that they would fear even to speak the name of the Lord. Look at Amos chapter 6 and verse 10, a passage we won't quite get to tonight. But I want to have you look at it. Starting in verse 9, it says, And if and it will be if ten men are left in one house, they will die. And then one's uncle or his undertaker will lift him up to carry out his bones from the house. And he will say to the one who is in the innermost part of the house, Is anyone else with you? And that one will say, No one. And then he will answer, Keep quiet. For the name of the Lord is not to be mentioned. For behold, the Lord is going to command that the great house be smashed to pieces and the small house to fragments. The point there is that they feared to speak His name. He was their enemy rather than their advocate. And so to call on His name who is everywhere and who is all-powerful is to summon judgment onto yourself in this case. And so they feared the Lord. Let's read... The first few verses of this sermon, Amos chapter 5. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Hear this word which I take up for you as a dirge, O house of Israel. She has fallen. She will not rise again, the virgin Israel. She lies neglected on her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord, The city which goes forth a thousand strong will have a hundred left. And the one which goes forth a hundred strong will have ten left to the house of Israel. And so these that Amos is speaking to, he speaks to them as though they are dead, but they don't yet realize that that's what they are. And we'll get to that in a little bit. 
But in verses 4 through 9, he begins to call them to seek the Lord. But the way they would choose to seek the Lord would be to make sacrifices to their high places, to seek Him at Bethel and Gilgal, places which the Lord did not command them to worship Him in. Now let's look here. In verse 4, He says to them, Seek Me that you may live, but don't resort to Bethel and do not come to Gilgal. That's what they would do, but it's not what He wanted. Now, jump to verse 6. Seek the Lord that you may live. Verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live. Verse 15, hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. Again, verse 24 of the same chapter, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Justice and righteousness have to do with the way they were treating each other and the way the courts were rendering their judgments toward the people. Look at Amos chapter 5 and verse 10. It says, They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you've built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You've planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent for it's an evil time. And so they refused to listen to the reproof of God. Verse 10, they overtaxed and overcharged the poor man in verse 11. They made life difficult for the one holding to righteousness in verse 12. And the courts, that's the gate, would accept a bribe from the rich to skew justice in their favor. It's such an evil time that someone who has their wits about them would just close their mouth. But you notice Amos isn't doing that. And therein, I think, lies a lesson for us. That even in a time when it would be prudent or wise, and you would have more peace around you if you remain silent, Amos doesn't because he's got a mission from God. He's been sent to speak, not to be silent. And the same is true of us. We've been sent to speak. And so even though it may not be prudent, even though it may not be wise in the eyes of many, it is our mission. It is what we've been sent to do. The people had corrupted the very concept of righteousness and justice. And I want to spend some time with that thought because it's important. When they were commanded to return, and they were commanded to come back to the Lord and seek good, that's what they thought they were doing. They thought they were right. They looked at themselves and thought, we are doing that. We are doing as the Lord would have us do. and they would look side to side perhaps and say, well, if whoever's not doing it, well, you better straighten up. 
And I'll tell you, the reason that that I say that, number one, is because of what you find in verses 4 and 5. Seek me that you may live. But then they'd run to their high places where they'd find their idols and their places to worship everything but God. They needed to return the meanings of righteousness and justice to what God had ordained them to be when He delivered the law to them. Look back to Deuteronomy chapter 15. And this is one of many passages we could examine together. But this is good enough. Deuteronomy 15 verse 7 and I'll read through verse 11. And listen to the difference. In Amos chapter 5, verses 10 through 13, they're taking bribes from the rich. They're not doing justice for the poor. They're mistreating the poor, overtaxing them, imposing the heavy rent. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. If there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. And beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near and your eyes hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin to you. You shall give generously to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. You may recognize the beginning of verse 11 as something that Jesus himself said, that the poor are always with you. The expectation of God is not that you would ignore them because they're always there, but but rather that when you are able, you would help them. This is the will of God to which the people in Amos needed to return, but they would not do that, and so God would come in judgment. Look back to Amos chapter 5. I want to notice some terminology with you. Amos chapter 5 and verses, well, let's read verse 17. Remember, they're, they're not going to drink the wine of their vineyards. They're not going to live in the houses that they've built. And, and so, verse 17, in all the vineyards, there is wailing because I will pass through the midst of you, says the Lord. I'd underline pass through the midst of you because that is exactly the opposite of what he did in Egypt. In Egypt, in Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, he says he's going to pass through Egypt. And all the houses of the Egyptians killing their firstborn sons. But he would pass over the houses with the blood of the lamb on it. And here in Amos chapter 5 and verse 17, now the Israelites have become the oppressors. The Israelites have become the evildoers. And so God is coming to pass not over them, but through their midst in judgment. More evidence of their flawed understanding of righteousness and justice follows. They had become so self-absorbed 
and the concepts of righteousness and justice were so corrupted in their minds that they believed the day of the Lord that was being announced to them would actually be a good thing for them. Look at Amos chapter 5, verse 18. He says, Alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home and leans his hand against the wall and a snake bites him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? He says, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. They had become so corrupted in their thought, in their way of thinking about God and about how to serve Him, how to be righteous, how to be just, that they believed that as they overcharged the poor man, as they took the bribe, that they were right in the eyes of God for doing so. How they got there, I will never know. But it seems we've gotten perhaps to the same place with many people today. But do try not to only think of the politicians. Think about you and I. Because this is where we need to be extra careful. Because if we aren't, our thinking will become corrupted by the culture in which we live. We will hear the corrupt way of thinking and the corrupt way of reasoning so often that it will change the way we read the Bible itself. And we need to take great care that that does not happen. In Matthew 7 verse 21, Jesus has a statement that rings true to what Amos is saying to the Israelites in Amos 5. Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's one word in that section of Scripture that always catches my attention and makes me stop for a moment. It's the word many. Many would say these things to him. Many will be like the Israelites in the time of Amos thinking they're saved, initially seeing the Lord with joy in their heart, being convinced that He has come to take them home. But in reality, they are being cast away from the presence of the Lord. And why will that be the case? Why is it that so many will believe 
something that's absolutely the opposite of what's true. Why is that? It's for the same reason that those in Israel failed to recognize the severity of the Lord toward them. Because they had corrupted the very concepts of God's Word. When justice and righteousness were spoken of, they believed they were doing them because they had changed the meaning of the words entirely. And that happens because people stop honoring God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, we read a passage that says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You know who the people are who change the meanings of words? The ones who think they're smart. That's who changes the meanings of words. You never find some dum-dum who thinks they're a dum-dum coming up to you and telling you, Oh no, you don't know what I know. This word doesn't really mean this. Never. It's the one who thinks he's a smart guy. He's going to change the word. He's going to change the meaning. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And therefore, here's the result and the important thing to remember. God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who's blessed forever. Amen. You realize the answer to how did they get so far away that when they heard a call to righteousness and a call to restore justice that they thought they already had, the answer is that they stopped honoring God. They knew about Him. They knew He existed. They knew of His sovereign power, but they refused to honor it. And how did they refuse to honor it? They refused to honor it by changing concepts that are God defined and by living them differently than he commanded them. That is to refuse to honor God. That is what they did. And perhaps at the start they thought, well, we'll, we'll just, we'll get pretty close to what God wants. This is almost it. We're close. It would be all right. But you know, the moment you start accepting close as close enough, you start stepping away. And the longer you accept close as close enough, the further you step away until you've completely altered the Word of God completely so that when it's spoken, you no longer understand the things that are said. And you understand, we've got words and concepts that that's happened to today. Have you ever gone up and asked someone, are you a Christian? And they say, well, yes. And then you have to say, well, wait a minute. Let me tell you what I mean by Christian. I mean someone who's baptized. And they say, oh, yes, I've been baptized. No, wait a minute. Let me ask you. Let me tell you what I mean by someone who's baptized. I mean someone who's been immersed in water. You tell me, what other type of baptism did God ever talk about? Have we changed the meanings in our culture? 
Have we stopped honoring God in, in a great, large way? Not just in our culture, but in many religious people's hearts? Absolutely. You know, you can have a conversation with someone about the faith, about Christianity, about Jesus and the hope that's in Him, about baptism, about Christianity, and someone who has never been baptized into Christ will say, I've done all of that. That's how far we've come. We are Amos chapter 5 in this country. We have arrived there. And it's up to each of us to be Amos. To call them back. To remind them what it is to serve the Lord. And what justice and righteousness really look like. Because if we won't do it, there are plenty of other people who will continue leading them in that blinded way. Luke 6, verse 39, Jesus said, A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into the pit? And so it will be on the last day. Many will be praying for the hastening of the day of the Lord, not realizing that they are in fact praying for their own judgment. That... That day for them will be as one running from a lion who's met by a bear. Did you stop to imagine that whenever we read it? Imagine that you're in the jungle and a lion roars at your face and you run away straight into the legs of a standing bear. What hope do you have? None. And that's what happens to those who agree and accept and live in such a way that doesn't honor God by not honoring the, the word He's given us. They will think they're safe at home, resting their hand on the doorpost, and they'll be bitten by a snake. They'll be told to depart from the Lord because He never knew them. And it's our job to offer the solution. And that's where I want to end tonight. Is with a passage that identifies the solution. You know, you may look at all of this that's happened in our country and all of the redefining of words and how far so many have strayed and you think there's just no hope. There is hope. And it's the same hope that Jesus offered. It's the same thing He said. There is only one cure for the mind that has been deceived by the world's misunderstanding of God. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus, just after talking about those who would be sent away from Him, He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of Mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. The pure, unchanged Word of God, which contrary to the thoughts of others, we do hold in our hands, 
is the only cure for the misunderstanding mindset. It's the only way to fix it. We can read and understand just as Paul taught the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. And we can have our understanding corrected if we're willing to listen and act on exactly what's written with the authority of Jesus Christ. That's the way to help people. You're not going to help them with fancy jargon. You're not going to help them with a, a you know, fancy sign or, or fancy marketing or, or just a, a pleasant smile. Those things may invite them to be around you, but the only thing that's going to change them and the only thing that's going to save their life is the pure, unchanged, spoken Word of God. And it's up to all of us to know it, to speak it, to live it, to show it to the ones who think they're all right when they're standing in the dark. Tonight, you have the opportunity to correct your path if you've strayed from the Lord. Don't enter into judgment, being deceived into a false sense of security. Examine His Word. And if you've been deceived, allow it to correct your thinking so that you will be welcomed home. So that the day of judgment will be one filled with light for you. Because you have stayed true to what is written. If you're not a Christian tonight, you need to realize you're living in a world that's been deceived. Most religious messages you hear are not from the Lord but are messages of false hope built on the twisted desires of men. And so I want you to allow God's Word to direct you to salvation. Listen to what God says rather than a man. If you've heard the Gospel, if you've understood that Jesus is the Christ, as He's presented in the Gospels, you will either believe its message or, delete, or dismiss it. But if you desire salvation... God teaches in John 8.34 that you must believe it. And if you believe the message written in the Word of God, you know that it calls you to repent of your sins and obey God instead. That's Acts 17.30 and 31. God also requires confession of your belief in Jesus. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. And many would stop there because they desire for whatever reason to ignore the command of God which is identified as the moment when your sins are forgiven. And that is that you must be baptized. Take all those other things in line and then be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins by the authority of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. You'll be raised to newness of life. Forgiven, clothed in light, ready for the judgment because you have been reconciled to God. Don't leave tonight without allowing your life to be directed by the Word of God. If you have a need tonight, I ask that you please make it known by coming to the front as we stand and sing.